As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's episode of The Glue Guys, we're going to dive into the rumor mill. Oh my God, it is spicy out there in NBA land. Trades abound. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Chris Paul. We're going to talk about it all. Plus, even more juicy draft discussion. It's spicy. It's juicy. It's a delicious dish of basketball (laughs) for your ears. Terrible. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike Ursula O'Brien. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuysNetsDaily.com, The Athletic. Get yourself behind that paywall. $1 a week. Go to TheAthletic.com slash Brian. Michael. There is some whispers mm. and some rumors out, out, out there, there right now. Who's talking? What are they saying? There's some buzzy buzz buzz. So uh, we sit here. So Brian and I, let's in full honesty, as we always do, uh, we had recorded uh, a two-part draft preview pod uh, all at once, and we did that two days ago. And now it's it's not dated because you're going to hear a lot of that conversation. But there there's a bulk of it that uh, we we needed to put a nice beautiful topper onto, and this is that topper we're putting on mm. this the, is the condom. Floater. Right now, no, oh, the floater yeah, of rum sorry. on your pina colada. <laughs> That's what this is. Um, what is what's your take on pina coladas? Big, a huge fan. Love is that right? It, well, any anything stupid like stupid sugar cocktail, I am a hundred percent all about. Love them. I am stupid sugar cocktail till I die, except for pina coladas. Really interesting. Pina coladas. Are the spinach artichoke dip? <laughs> wow, um, <laughs> which is already a terrible drinks. take. Terrible. <laughs> uh, we got to take it. What, next time you come into the city, we'll get a Zombie Hut up the street for me. Big, big recommend. Big shout out for Zombie Hut sponsoring the show this week. Is Zombie Hut, <laughs> and they, uh, they, it's their whole menu is a bunch of 
reasonably priced, insanely sweet cocktails. It's very good. Beautiful. Yeah. Excellent. Speaking of sweetness and also drunkenness, the NBA. Um, yes. Yeah, so here's where we are. And and again, we're recording this at 3.06 on Thursday, November the 12th. All of this could change in very short succession. But what we know right now is that there are several in going into an offseason when we didn't think anything was going to happen that exciting. Now, Russell Westbrook may be available. Chris Paul's probably going to go to the Phoenix Suns. James Harden, not quite yet available, but if Russell Westbrook gets traded for nothing, but didn't I would he imagine say, he, didn't he, say he was locked in on this season. He said he was locked in. Mike, that means something. He's locked in. So I urge everyone, one, you should get behind the paywall of the athletic and then read the story from Sham Sharania, Sam Amick, and Kelly Eco about what's going on with the Rockets because basically the story is that Russell Westbrook isn't happy that everyone isn't as hardcore as he is. And one of the guys he's not happy with is his very good friend, which is stressed over and over again, James Harden. Um, I'm getting the sense that James Harden doesn't care. <laughs> you know, that much. you know, when someone says something is locked in, like if I, if you're like, let's go get a drink on Tuesday, I'm like, lock that in. And Lo- there's oh, a 75% <laughs> chance <laughs> that, that, that that drink is not happening. I'm showing up to that yeah. bar after getting on the subway <laughs> yeah. thinking, where yeah. the hell is Brian? Yeah. Um, lock, you lock that in. So I'm not even going to do the whole, like, would you want Russell Westbrook thing? I think. I don't think either of us would want Russell Westbrook, but I will ask you: Do you want? <laughs> do no, you want? I, okay. I have no problem saying I just don't, I just don't like it's a it's a mismatch on a, on a variety of levels. Like it's just I, not it's just not going to happen. I mean, we joked about I think in our Levert line series, which I'll continue to reference, um, that Draymond Green and Kevin Durant there may be like sticky feelings if you brought them back. I'm sure Kevin Durant's actually probably closer at this point to Russell Westbrook than he was when he left Oklahoma City, but there's still enough noise there that it doesn't feel like the best pairing to bring back. I wouldn't I and this is I'm being honest here. I wouldn't want him for free. Like I wouldn't want him if you paid me. <laughs> that's that's how I feel about that how badly that matches with what we got over here. This is the moment where I defend Russell Westbrook for yeah. a bit. Okay. He's not right for the Brooklyn Nets. That's obvious. I don't think he's right for the Knicks, but it's a very Knicks thing to do. Mm, that is a Knicks thing to do. But I said, as many people did on Twitter, even before the reports came out, this is a Michael Jordan Charlotte Hornets move. And now Sham Sharani has backed it up with reporting that the, there it is. the Hornets, because Jordan's whole GM philosophy, even though he's not technically the GM, he's always wanted four-year seniors from college because they're like the, the most obvious mm-hmm. to being good. And Russell Westbrook, I think he's also one. He's a Jordan brand athlete, which mm. it matters a little on, bit. On brand. On brand, literally. That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like if Michael if Russ, if Michael Jordan's watching the NBA, I would imagine the guys he appreciates the most are like the Russell Westbrooks of the world, right? Like the the biggest of tryhards who never say die and will go to the hilt to win a game at any cost and or will sacrifice their bodies. Now, this is the defense of Russell Westbrook. The Hornets would be lucky to have Russell Westbrook. Oh, that's a great fit. That's the fit. That's 100% where they should go. Like, imagine your life as a Hornets fan. The most exciting thing that has happened to you is that they changed the colors and the team name to the Hornets. They brought back the teal, right? So 
you're sitting there like Kemba Walker was totally great. Everyone loved him, but like even okay, there was a ceiling with a Kemba Walker led team. I don't know. I mean, put Russell Westbrook back on that team. They're a seventh seed, and that's fun. That's R- Russell like a Westbrook super is, fun thing. is I think the height of great player, like good good to great player on a bad team, like watchability. That makes the watchability through the roof, right? Just Absolutely. for a variety of because also he'll like dog on your on the other guys on the team. The whole thing it'll just be a whole calamity like spectacle it's great it's good stuff and like i know i kind of hate like the whole like the nba is an entertainment business not a basketball business like yeah i get it it is but it is an entertainment business like it should be fun to watch basketball and russell westbrook with james harden not fun and not really all that good together russell westbrook by himself in charlotte just dominating and dunking on guys going for triple doubles that's fun. I'd rather have that in my life as an NBA fan than him trying to fit in with James Harden when it's not a perfect fit. He doesn't fit in Houston. I get why he wants to leave. I think it's funny that, you know, there was like the Russell Westbrook defenders will mostly push back to like, oh, he he would always go for a winning chance. Well, he has an opportunity to win with James Harden and he obviously doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Go to Charlotte. Go, I mean, go to the would you would you. OK, if he gets straight to the Knicks. How does that make you feel as a Nets fan if that were to happen? Um, I like it. I like it for both reasons. I like it because of the – well, hmm, let me think about this actually. I mean I think that the Tom Thibodeau-Russell was Westbrook experiment Whoa. like deserves to be seen. Like, the, like That the, is – like That's just, like if Frankenstein, <laughs> the monster – like the, the Frankenstein monster himself made a Frankenstein right, monster. Right, exactly. But like so, a stronger, faster one. <laughs> right. Um, so I, part of me just wants to see that just to, you know, put, put those two in a cage and see what happens. Um, but I do like, as like a, a, you know, decades long embittered Nets fan, I don't want to see anything good happen to the Knicks. And that could be construed as a good thing, which I would hope to avoid, I guess. That's sort of how I feel. Even though I know that it's not a good thing, like for the fabric of that team, I don't think it would be seen as a good thing. And that's enough to, for me not to want it. You know what I mean? It, it, I mean, one, it would destroy R.J. Barrett's development. It, it would completely. destroy, like, any, yeah, I mean, it, it completely, it's like, it's the most, like, the biggest, dumbest band-aid to slap on that problem would be to get a Russell Westbrook-style player, which would be bad long-term. But again, they would, it would still be these Knicks fans coming out of the woodwork being like, we got him. We, we did it, boys. We got, we got Westbrook. How many Russell Westbrook jerseys would you see? Uh, quite a few. A wash the Gowanus Canal would be all it'd be all Porzingis jerseys in the canal because everyone would throw them out the window. And the the fun factor of the Knicks getting Westbrook is that you do have Knicks v Nets, Durant v Westbrook. Yeah, that's true. And, and and they're still not competitive, so it's like the best. Like you get to punch <laughs> down, which is good. That's fun. You know what would happen? Like the yeah. Knicks would win that first game. I know. Whenever it is, and then you oh the the everything you would hear is like who's the king of New York, and right. like that would happen. But then we could all like be like oh, but then the Nets win the next five, and everyone's happy. But they won that one, you know. And they'll always have that. We can't, you know, whatever. There, there's a couple other fallout elements to the Rockets exploding, if you will. Um, James Harden, James Harden, let's say he be, becomes available, right? And you and I also discussed that, you know, like in the range of possibilities of all the guys who may be available, we talked a couple of times about James Harden because you, you and I both diagnosed that the Rockets were a combustible situation and that D'Antoni was likely gone. Now we know that, of course, that he is gone and now he's with the Nets. 
in, which I guess I don't know how I fit that into the Nets should trade for James Harden thinking, right? But I feel like James Harden must love Mike D'Antoni. He made him partly an MVP. Anyways, here's the trade oh, for wow, James Harden. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. And I'm <clears throat> three first round picks. Not again. Levert and Dinwiddie. Because here's the think, thing with James Harden. Okay. All right. Good. Everyone's going to want James Harden. Like mm-hmm. he, where Westbrook has a select group of people who could really take him in. Miami's moving ahead of heaven and earth to get him. You know, like the Celtics maybe decide, oh, let's cash in Jalen Brown and a couple of other big assets. Like I think Harden, the amount of teams that would d- desire him is like the entire league where Westbrook is a select group. So there's going to be a lot of competition for James Harden. I mean, frankly, he's the best offensive player in the NBA. I mean, has been for like think about splitting years. the offensive load because like James Harden really is at his best when he's just not like when he's not sharing the court with anyone else of equal stature, <laughs> anywhere close to equal stature. So like not having him like like staggering his minutes against Kyrie and Kevin Durant. That I mean, there's some there's it's fun to think about. It's fun to think about. It's yeah. not going to happen. No, but if I not. tell you it's three first round picks, Levert and Dinwiddie, and then there's some filler. There's Garrett Temple and Karuks. This works. Mm-hmm. You did Does the, that you strike did, you, you as feeling good machine. to your ears? Uh, I mean, it seems it, that's like, go, yeah. Well, let me really digest this. Having just come out of mortgaging a future, <laughs> <laughs> having just done that, that scares me a little bit. Because um, the way you have to construct the trade is it has to be the all-in trade, right? So, like, what is right. the Nets version of an all-in trade? Like, you put Jared Allen in their shirt. Like, mm-hmm. you could also do that, too. And you maybe take out. Rodion's Karuks because like partly what's going on in Houston is that their owner doesn't have any money Tillman Fertitta because I mean he says he does and I know he probably has a lot more money than I do but all of his money is tied up in maybe not restaurants and casinos tough places that tend to require foot traffic Mm -hmm. and people aren't trafficking on their feet as much anymore me not, um, me not at all. Like not until I got four more days. Four more days. <laughs> how, how how's the old hood doing? <laughs> I, it's funny you say that because you see somebody called Easy Money showed up on the Discord. Be on the on the glue guys. Get to, well, probably the Discord again this season. I have not been active on it, but somebody named Easy Money showed up on there, and everyone's like, "Oh, hey, KD, like, what's up?" Thinking it was KD. This is this might make the final cut. Who knows? And I just jokingly said, "Like, how's the hoof to that guy?" Literally the next day, I broke my foot. Literally the next day, <laughs> there's nothing more karmically one to one, Ryan. Than that, you're telling me Kevin Durant is trying to reach out to us. I think cyberly. He, I, so. Here's my line of thinking on this. I think that Kevin yes. Durant is a guy that like spends time on the internet, and like I'm imagining that he yes, doesn't he does. <laughs> that he doesn't know what Discord is. He's like I don't know. He's like going around, sees Discord, hears about it, doesn't know what it is, pops into Discord for just to just to send a message, see what what it does, how it works. Figures out very quickly that he doesn't like it, doesn't want to be there, and then that's it. He's gone. He's gone to back to Twitter, and there is like a. I'm going to put it at a non-zero five percent chance that Easy Money is the real Kevin Durant. Either way, I thought it was possible that it was him, and I asked him how the hoof was, and then I broke my foot. So that was non-zero, as in Trump's lawyers exactly. Who right, we're in court in Pennsylvania. The non a non-zero the, number of <laughs> monitors during the election. The, right, the non-zero chance of anything. Um. So I. Okay, the Harden trade's silly, right? It's like a ridiculous thing, but it's something you have to consider. Also because I would imagine Kevin Durant has a good relationship with James Harden, and if you could get him. Because like the more and more I'm kind of thinking about Drew Holiday versus anything else, Drew Holiday's a great fit. 
I think he, I said before, if he was on the team, I think Nets fans would immediately love him. Like he would, he would look great in between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But when you make that trade, and particularly if you're including Levert, you no longer can make a Bradley Beal trade or like this James Harden thing. Like it just, that, that, that apple that is still stuck up on the tree, this James Harden juicy apple. Uh, what's your favorite apple, Brian? Northern Spy. The Northern Spies is where I go for <laughs> – it's a late late in the fall. They're actually probably just coming in now. Northern spy. Um, so a Northern Spy level apple just is ready to be plucked. Mm-hmm. But you don't have the ladder anymore to get to that apple if you need ladders to low. get to Those apples. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so I think that's kind of the key thing as we think about these trades and we all fantasize about the trades. Now, here's some sub things I just want to throw out to you real quick. Let's say that Rockets, again, everything's crumbling below them. P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington. Uh, P.J. Tucker played with, at Texas with Kevin Durant. Robert Covington, I think every Nets fan basically wants in the world. Um, are you? Is that something that if you're Sean Marks, you're saying, I'm attacking and which of those two do you want the most, PJ Tucker or Robert Covington? Um, well, golly, this is a tough one, but I think I, I'm in PJ. I'm weirdly, I'm you know, you know how I feel about thickness, and I'm down with the thickness. Um, one of the things too I was thinking about <laughs> was um, what's the song? I'm down with the sickness. Yeah, that's the you get it. Yeah. Um, well, I saw that. So the Mavs had a thing in Sports Illustrated that they were um, themselves horny for Spencer Dinwiddie, which yes. which checks out. So that's been in a few different places too. But yeah, yeah. Um, so that got me thinking. But there's no one there that really like jumps off the page. So th- three team yeah. three team territory I, with that. There's there's so much of this trade discussion is such BS. Like hey. the things being thrown out there. Like so there was a report that. The uh, the Hawks are willing to part with the sixth overall pick for Drew Holiday. And then immediately, Chris Kirshner, who is the Hawks reporter for The Athletic, was like, that hasn't happened. Sources tell me that there's no way that's happened. And I, I believe Chris because he's literally hearing it from the Hawks. And I think it's like David Griffin, who runs the Pelicans, has a lot of friends in media. And he says that. And then the story gets out. And it's all interesting. And they're trying to raise the value of Drew Holiday. I don't think I just don't I don't see it like I don't see it for Drew Holiday and the Hawks like there's just so much misinformation at this point Uh, like I'm kind of even leery of this there's a lot of LaMelo Ball to Minnesota buzz about how he's had a private workout with them and all that stuff Um, I don't like it's just all lies so think about everything (laughs) that basically happens is a lot except for things like when Sham Sharani reports Chris uh, Russell Westbrook wants out Mm of houston like that that to me is like there's no benefit for anyone putting that out there besides the westbrook can i ask has anyone made this comp with lamello ball no having watched a fair amount of him just sorry uh michael carter williams do you ever hear people talk about that comp <laughs> yeah i think that's like the that's like that's the, damaging if things go, yeah if things go terribly ball. wrong he ends up being michael carter williams yeah. by the way i could use a michael carter williams on the nets if because he's turned himself into a nice little like defensive not little i mean he's long mm. defensive guard range and he can handle the ball a little bit he can do like a quarter of spencer dinwiddie stuff let's get him heck um what are, what are we talking about for yeah that's what's lamilla ball thing is like there's enough people so i heard jonathan Gavoni and mike schmitz on zach lowe's podcast talking about like the basketball people love Lamelo Ball. Like the people who really knows basketball think he's excellent. Um, I think it's kind of 
crazy when you see his shot and you saw how he played in in Australia and like it just seemed like he was at, treating it like a, uh not even an AAU thing just like a, a an all-star game but he's maybe the most talented person here. that's where I love where the Nets are picking I would rather have the 19th pick than the first overall pick Brian because <laughs> I I enjoy all the things and we're going to talk about the draft we have that whole conversation coming up there's one more thing I wanted to hit before we go here and then we'll go to the draft Serge Ibaka okay Mike Mazio who used to cover the Nets, now writing for Forbes, uh, said this about Serge Ibaka. Kevin Durant has been recruiting close friend Serge Ibaka to join the Brooklyn Nets as a free agent, according to league sources. And it goes on about you know how much Durant loves Ibaka and how close they are. And of course, you and I have been tracking the Ibaka to Brooklyn for a while. I think there's something that is under-discussed that needs to be discussed. And it, it because this may be a possibility, it could prove out what may happen with the Nets transactions coming up. So the Nets are a tax-paying team. That means the only ability they have to sign a free agent is either a veteran minimum or the taxpayer mid-level exception, which is at $5.7 million a year right now. So that'd be a, a steep pay cut for your boy Surge. But you could do it, right? Like you could pitch it like, hey, here's $6 million bucks. Come play for the Nets, win a championship, play with your friends. Everything's great. Every way. Yeah. We have a great practice facility, all that stuff. And you don't have to play in East Rutherford, potentially, Prudential Center, Newark, wherever that is. Would you become a Raptors fan just because of your roots? I would. If they were playing I would drop everything and and we would become a Raptors podcast immediately, I think. (laughs) Probably better for our careers. Hey. Uh, Anyways, so the Surge can only play for $5.7 million on the mid-level exception if he wants to join the Nets or veteran minimum. Okay. But he's not going to take a vet min because Sergi can make much more money. The thing is, when the Nets activate that taxpayer mid-level exception, it hard caps them at $139 million. The taxpayer line's at 132. The hard cap, if you use that mid-level, is 139, meaning the Nets can't spend any more money. It's what happened with the Warriors this year. When they, when they signed D'Angelo Russell, it hard capped them, and it forced them to trade Andre Iguodala to then bring on D'Angelo Russell, okay? Now, that 139 is an important number because the Nets are basically already at 139 right now without having signed Joe Harris. If they want to sign Joe Harris, you can't sign Serge Ibaka. And if you want to sign Serge Ibaka, you can't sign Joe Harris unless they trade Torian Prince Mm -hmm. or they trade Karis LeVert or they trade Spencer Dinwiddie or a combination of all those guys and actually somehow decrease the salary that's coming in from all the guys they're sending out drop their cap number down below and then they could sign Joe Harris and Serge Ibaka and be under that 139 hard cap though they'd have to trade like Torian fair Prince <clears throat> a fair amount and and not bring back a lot mm-hmm. so this Mike Mazio report to link it back again that Duran is recruiting Ibaka sure he could be recruiting him for a vet minimum minimum deal I doubt that Duran is that good of friends with Serge Ibaka, especially because Serge is thirty-one. This is this is the night the the last big big boy contract right there. This is the sweet spot. And like if you're if you're the Hawks, you have a ton of money. If you're the Knicks, you have a ton of money. Why would you not sign Serge Ibaka for one year, fifteen million? Like you know, just give him the. I mean, Bobby Portis got signed for one year, fifteen million dollars plus a play, uh, team option for one year, fifteen. So like, if Bobby Portis can get that cash, I'm Serge. I'm sure a guy Serge can. 
Do you so, think though that signing yeah. surge in the offseason, let's say we just somehow, you know, we just flip Torian and you know, make make it work and like there's no like true damage other than that to the, to the core rotation, does that put us over the top in the Eastern Conference, you know, battle for supremacy? Yes. You think so? Okay. Yes. Well, then you do it. There it is, Mike. That's it. That's all you need to say. Lock, lock it in. Yeah. If you could put Tory and Prince in a deal with your first round pick, because that's what it's going to take to get rid of Prince. So you put your first round pick with Tory and Prince, you send him off to Cleveland, say, here, Cleveland, here's the 19 over pick. You get Tory and Prince, who could be helpful to your team. He's a young guy. He can shoot threes. If that gets you Serge Ibaka, which you're basically you're trading your first round pick and Tory and Prince for Serge Ibaka, and you bring back Joe Harris. Then, like, the lineup combinations. I mean, there was another report out there that the Nets are searching for someone to play power forward, which I think is interesting because Kevin Durant is supposed to probably play power forward. So they want someone who's a starter. So maybe KD plays the three to start and shifts around. I don't know how that would all work. But if you have, let's just say it's just, as you said, Kyrie, KD, Serge Ibaka, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, if that's the squad, that's a that's a frothy rotation mm. to go into. Already, just thinking about it, <laughs> to go into the playoffs, that's a very like what the Raptors were with Kawhi, plus a little bit more, right? Maybe not as good defensively, but um, interesting, man. There's gonna we're gonna, everything we're hearing from a lot of the big national people is like there's gonna still be a lot of shocking things mm-hmm. happening wow. over the next two weeks because we'll be we have the draft the, and we have free agency and a lot of fun stuff. I'll be glued to my cable news as ever waiting for the updates. Hey, stay glued to the glue guys, hey. Brian. Nice. All right. We're going to take a break. Coming back, we're going to talk so much more about the NBA draft. We have so much more conversation to, to jam into your ears. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. We will do... Maybe a little convo before the draft. What do you mean next week? We got the whole other part of the show. No, I'm saying, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, we're going to have a, we're, yeah, this is live, right? Yeah. <laughs> but in case I don't say it later, we'll be back next week and we have uh, pre, maybe a little more pre draft conversation. Maybe not, unless there's a big trade, but we'll do something after the draft. Don't leave. That's the, that's the real takeaway. This, is, this show still goes on. We are reconvening. So there's a couple of things that we're going to do. First, let's do this. Let's do Nets draft rules. And Just then you f- will fit in, we'll fit in the ones that you like. Draft rules or roles? I couldn't. That was rules. A, rules. Yeah. So here's sort of, how That was sort is. of a Maryland twang on that. I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, all vowels. <laughs> yeah. When they're in any word, it becomes just a, a elongated mush. Mm. And I apologize to all of you. Okay, here's what I was trying to figure out, right? Some of the best ways to figure out how a team will draft is how they drafted in the past. Look at the Nets picks under Sean Marks. And I think there's a couple of things that you can kind of link to that the Nets really like. They they do like length. Like I would say Lavert is a lengthy dude, but mostly Jared Allen, Rodan's Karuks. Moose is tall, even though he plays not quite tall. Nick Claxton. Jalen Hands, even as a guard, is a lengthy guard. They like that length. They do like young, sort of not quite fully developed talent. They have never drafted, you know, four-year seniors. They draft like Lavert when he was drafted, it was an injury risk who had a lot more room to grow. Obviously, Jared Allen is is he now legal finally to drink? Musa and Karuks, both young, unproven talents. Jalen Hands. 
barely just started shaving. Mm. Nick Claxton, the same way, like clear talent, but but not nearly there put together. That is what the Nets look for. That you know, there are some teams that do look for four four year, you know, college players. The Charlotte Hornets are known for drafting. If mm. you become National College Basketball Player of the Year, you're probably going to be drafted by the Hornets. If you're Frank Kaminsky or Kemba Walker or anyone else, you know that that is what they look for. The Nets don't seem to look for that. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out like which guys sort of fit into that. But I want to ask you before I begin this, and we talked about this in the last episode. Sure. Do you think having Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving changes what the Nets will look for in this draft? Do you yeah. think? That it will change their philosophy. Of course, yeah. I think. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I think so. Obviously, I have less of a data pool to to pull this take from. So, um, you know, that's harder harder to know for for certain. But uh, projecting my mind into somebody else's, yeah. I mean, you don't like like what I was saying in the last episode. Upside here is going to be relative to your opportunity. Okay, so if you have a guy with a lot of upside and not enough opportunity what what ultimately is the benefit of that 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 seems like a recipe for miscommunication and general um you know not super happy vibes so so that's sort of where my head is it's we've been we've been drafting i mean we've been going back even four years whatever we're you know pulling guys up from the g league and stuff you know we are we are giving people trials for um are you, can you be the Spencer Dinwiddie? Can you, and they, you know, we've gotten very lucky and gotten the Joe Harris's and Spencer Dinwiddie's we need to establish ourselves as somewhat competitive enough to get the, the big, the big draws in. So, yeah. So in my mind, I think we need to necessarily change the, the whole fabric of our drafting strategy. It sounds like we're on different pages here though. No, I don't think it's necessarily we're on different pages. I think, I think you can do both in a way. Like, I do think you could draft length and talent and stuff. And I added character as one of the things, you know, it doesn't really fit across the board. I'm sure Sean Marks would like to think that every player the Nets pick is like the nicest person in the world. Who knows? I mean, I don't really want to go to the Rodion's Karuk situation, his legal situation, but, you know, that does exist. Um, you know, but, you know, certainly Nick Claxton and Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, like known good dudes, uh, particularly Karis LeVert and Jared Allen having been playing for a while for the Nets have known to be like great locker room dudes. So I, I imagine that also matters too. I think it has to be a, so it's tough because if you believe that the best way to draft is to draft length, talent, character, and sort of room to grow to suddenly switch just because your situation changes with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving means that you're now evaluating a different, you know, set of variables and it would probably lead to not drafting as well as you have in the past. I mean, the Nets have been a pretty good drafting team. Jared Allen is a win. Karis LeVert is a win. Rodion's Karuks, I mean, frankly, is kind of a win, too. You know, talented. Where he was picked, yeah. I mean, like, Musa. Uh. Musa, not a win. Musa, you know, I whatever. I know, I was about to say I love Musa, but I don't love Musa. No, but he had not a, not a win. Nick Claxton is interesting. And is there's... Interesting. Could go either way. Still, still, yeah. So... So, like, if you, I don't know, I would just stick to the thing that the Nets are doing well, which is drafting talent. I do think also having really good players gives you space to do so, like the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets layered in Bull Bull and Michael Porter Jr. And then they, you know, they already had had Jokic and, and Murray. Murray was a, is a draft success story. Jokic obviously is. They drafted Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic, and they traded him because they had Jokic. And so... 
I think what they've done is successful. I wouldn't go too far away from it. But I think you can do both. I think you get potential and you can get someone who's a role player. And there's a lot of guys in this draft. I love this draft, Brian. I love it. People don't people love to hate on this draft because the top is not interesting. I find that middle is so it's a sexy middle. It's, it's been a, a, it's, it's, it's been a, a while since a sh- we've had a draft where like the top is so heavily disputed. Really like the the number one overall pick on all, any of these mock drafts I've seen has changed wildly from I mean not wildly. There's the same like three or four names, but usually that's pretty locked in by this point. Yeah, and it's not like it's not this situation where it's the LeBron, Mello, Dwayne Wade draft. It's like three or three or four names. You're like, e. Everyone wants to trade down, and we're going to talk about trade down too. But I love the middle. I mean, there's a lot of three and D wings. What a great middle! It's like it's like a, a fantastic television show where episodes three, four, and five are fantastic. One and two, not that great. You know what it is? It's like Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation first season was bad. Second season, not that good. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Uh, Pelle Gunnarsson, a uh, friend of the show who who we've who we've talked to before, says, hey, glue guys, the TV is we, we did. You did this bit yes. like two, two episodes ago or whatever. Uh, and he says the TV show equivalent of Mike D'Antoni. This is where you're using it before uh, joining the Nets as an assistant coach must be when Sebastian Buck joined the cast of Gilmore Girls. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, you are the Gilmore, Gore, Gilmore Girls junkie. Is that is that true? Um, it, it that is a funny joke because he was a terrible actor. Oh, thank you. He, he ruined yeah. it. Well, no, but that whole show is filled with terrible actors. Oh. If, he didn't, I he urge didn't. everyone to watch the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> it's amazing that you have takes on this. That is the depth um, of your knowledge. I um okay. So wait, but so before we like bury the whole thing, because like what I, I I wanted to do this like last, I don't know why it's stupid, but I'll just like reveal who the guy that I think makes the most yes. sense is. That yes. just that's it's kind of painful for me to not have said it by this point. Jeez, what were they thinking? Anyways, I think the one that makes the most sense for all this, having looked deep into it, is your boy Josh Green, and I think that you're probably a Josh Green fan, though I can't be sure. I can't be sure either. Yeah, to be honest. So Josh Green, if you're unfamiliar, is a the. Uh, wing bro from arizona basically so here's what i think um just going into a little bit of what we've been trying to do as a where, where we are where we need to be so like the torian prince wilson chandler um you know who else we're at temple i would even throw nwaba in there like we are looking for that position who whomever it can be nwaba was i think going to be the guy that like you know established himself as as the uh kind of rangy, versatile defender who uh, tried really hard and could hit an open three. Like the, the three and D, but emphasis on three. And having watched a fair amount of Josh Green, I am I am pretty confident that, that that this is this is at least my guy. Okay. All right, Mike, I'm I'm going all in on Josh Green. Just based on this one thing is like he is a self-designated role player. Even at this at this you know stage of the game, he's like, this is what I'm gonna be. He he is not the kind of guy that's going to take a risky mid range. He seems to understand the, he has taken on that, the, the responsibility, the mantle of the, of the three and D player precociously. And I think that's super important for, you know, inserting yourself into meaningful minutes on a team like this right now with the amount of players that we have who are established. And I'll say, I've seen Josh Green's name linked in like five mock drafts to the nets. And usually when you see that, like Kevin O'Connor, Sam Vecini, um, Jonathan Gavoni, Mike Schmitz, if you know th- those level of people that are doing mock drafts, they're not just doing them because they're like guys that they like. They're doing them because they're talking to the teams. They're maybe they're talking to Sean Marks or someone else in the front office. 
and getting information within the conversation that they're having. Now, there are a couple of other names like RJ Hampton that has been RJ Hampton has been linked to the Nets more than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving more before they signed with the Nets. Josh Green is intriguing. The, the thing to know about Josh Green is that he was a highly ranked recruit going to Arizona. He's almost going to be 20 years old by the time they actually start playing basketball. Um, he will be 20 years old. November 16th is his birthday. So oh, we'll be coming up, coming up here. Happy that, birthday, that's, Josh Green. That's when I go back to the to the to the podiatrist. I go back he, to, to see about the foot. So we you, big you days, have, big days for both of us, me and Josh. Um, he averaged twelve points a game at Arizona on a kind of strange, strangely loaded, but like a, just a strange Arizona team. Um, three assists and five rebounds, seventy eight percent from the free throw line. 36% from three on three attempts per game, which is, you know, not huge, but not insignificant. Um, he's he kind of does a bunch of different stuff. I've heard him described as like, would you like he is Danny Greenish, but everyone who's like not quite that tall who can shoot is described as Danny Green. That's and just and like I think it's we, a, I think it's kind of a like we need to begin to develop a new uh, like I think that this the player like that who is because okay so Josh Green is is thick he's got a nice butt right and this goes back into my butt yeah. he's and got he's, a great he, butt and he's he, a hardy neck he's a hardy neck so he's going to put on weight he's nineteen years remember what we weighed when we were nineteen my god so he is going he's so when I basically look at, the same when I, I look at like a kind of comparable sort of three and D player like Aaron Nismith is a guy that comes up. Uh, from Vanderbilt and he's yeah. he's like a slightly more like offensive version of this and slightly less defensive and the reason that I think that he's like less of a good fit and I don't know if people can disagree with me on this is has a lot to do with the uh, like he is just not going to be building a whole lot of like big big muscle very quickly in the way that I think Josh Green could possibly um and then also yeah, Josh like, Green looks like like he looks not like he's built but he is like NBA ish like he's like his tree trunk arms and tree trunk legs, like there's a lot of like yeah projectability with his his size and weight I and mean, his it, talent. It's not Charles Barkley quite yet, but there is a bit of a Charles Barkley build like in there, like a young. I mean, again, we're talking about eighteen, nineteen year old Charles yeah. Barkley or whatever. But it's, so he's thick and he can like he runs. He wants to be running the fast break. He he does do that like Charles Barkley s dunk in the fast break that seems reckless and dangerous for a dude that that's that that thick. And the thing that really stands out is like, you know, oftentimes you're watching a lot of these highlights, these you know videos or whatever, and they go to the defense part and they're like, wow, he like stays in front. You know, they have like the defensive highlights that are like lame. And in this one, like yeah. he has legitimate defensive highlights, like his ability to close <laughs> out and mirror people and things like that. It's like really jumps off the page. Uh, so for those reasons, I got excited about a potential. Check. It's not a it's not exciting. And like his great upside, this is going to be a guy that, you know, sets the league on fire. But a, I'm, I'm excited by a, a perfect cog in a system like what we're building here, you know. So can I? Do you have more cogs, or can I throw out some cogs I like? Uh, so those are that's the big cog. Yeah, what what other cogs you got? So there's a couple of there's two bays, Tyler Bay and Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay is from from Villanova is going to go higher than the Nets are going to pick. So I, I I I I refuse, I guess, really to even think about him. But if you don't know who Sadiq Bay is. He's one of the better defensive players in college basketball. He shot 45% from three. He's 6'8", 216, 77% from the free throw line, averaged 16 points a game. And Villanova is one of those schools now with Jay Wright that produces NBA players, and they fit in immediately. You know, there's a lot of guys who've come out of Villanova recently who've been really good. Um, 
I like the other Bay, Tyler Bay from uh, Colorado, Spencer Dinwiddie's own Colorado. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Now, he's going to be 23 years old on February 10th, which is a bit old and is against the Nets profile. But he was Defensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12. He shot, I, I, I'm going to tell you the percentage, but don't get excited, 42% from three, but on one attempt a game. But he shot 74% from the line. Again, a good indicator for how good your three-point shot's going to be. Nine rebounds, 14 points. He's known as being ultra-athletic, 44-inch vertical. So, super-athletic, productive in college, and defense I'm going to love you, right? Like that is that is great. So best defense player in the the Pac-12, which has the center from USC that everyone loves that's going to go in the top 10. This guy was considered a better defender. And really, if you look on, I love Tankathon because they'll do the pluses and minuses. His only negatives is his draft age, which is significant. He turned over the ball a lot, which indicates that he cannot handle the ball. So he's never going to be a wing who handles for you. And he, you know, He's only shot the ball one three a game at forty two percent, which is exciting. But only one three a game means like you're terrified to shoot threes. You're picking you're, your spots pretty carefully at that point. Yeah. So, but I like Tyler Bay, and he's projected to go late first round. Now, here's my absolute crush. Besides, and we talked about Pokaseski, and I'll talk. I'll talk about him in this pod too. We talked about him last pod. My absolute crush in this draft. It, it's like she's all that. If this player came walking down the steps to um what's the song there she goes there is that the one um and down the steps and he took off his glasses finally for the first time i would be freddie prince jr and i would be in love paul reed from depaul give me paul reed here here who paul reed is a second round pick and i do not for the life of me understand it here is who paul reed is six nine 220 pounds. One of my favorite things to look at in the draft is steals and blocks combined. Okay. Paul real Paul Reed averaged three blocks per game and two steals per game at DePaul nearly five combining them for nearly five steel blocks slocks or whatever they're called together in a game, 15 points per game, 11 rebounds per game. He only shot two threes a game for 31%. So he's not a phenomenal shooter. 74% from the free throw line. Ultra productive. Big defender. He was no good as a freshman at DePaul. And by the end of his junior year, which is what he is right now, he was one of the most dynamic defensive players in the country. I love it. And I know that it's (laughs) like, I know at 19, that's probably too rich. It's like, because everyone has a mocked in the second round, but I've seen over and over again in drafts where if you're a guy who can both block shots and get steals, it shows that you're versatile defensor defender and that you, that translates to the pros. It just does like to be able to do that. Like, so Matisse Thibel did that at Washington and he's a great defender already as a rookie in the NBA. Now, they're different players. Thibel's a classic wing where Reed maybe is like a backup center. He's like an old school power forward. Is more like a sort of Kenyon like, Martin. Yeah, Kenyon Martin. It's era, like a Kenyon Martin. Stromile Swift. A, uh, who else? Well, we had Area 51, Sean Williams. 
<laughs> he he also just like looks like someone that would be hanging around the NBA for ten years. These so for me, these are the kind of guys though that that I feel most scorned by. You know, the Stromile Swifts and Sean Williams. And, well, I mean, <laughs> Kenny Martin I will love forever, but like it's you know, and for, for a guy to go one like that, uh, he maybe didn't have the super duper best career. Um, but those kinds of guys. So I'm interested by this because this is exactly the kind of pick that I would have like crushed over, like super hard crushed over. I mean, ten years ago. I I love him. I mean, so if you look on Tankathon, he's at 48 overall to the Warriors. So he's a second round pick. So when I say that I love him, I understand that at 19, that's rich, right? Like you may be looking, you're looking for way more with the 19th pick overall. But this kind of dovetails into our next conversation, which we'll have, maybe not right now. But, you know, I think the Nets are probably going to move that first round pick in some trade. And... I then they do have a pick. I think it's 55 overall. I then think then they're going to buy a second round pick. John Hollinger said this in his mock draft in the Nets in his mock draft that came out on Tuesday, which is the Nets are one of the teams that are are looking to buy second round picks. And they're going to be a lot of teams that want to get rid of them because it, those guys add salary to your roster, even though they can be really cheap. So if the Nets are in a situation where they trade that first round pick and they only have the 55 overall. Maybe they call up, you know, I'm trying to look for a team that may be desperate, like maybe the 76ers. Well, no, they probably want second round picks now that they have Daryl Morey. There will be some team within the second round in the top half of the second round that will just decide we don't really need this pick and it's going to cost us a lot of money. We should just sell it to Josai because he's so hungry. And then they get Paul Reed and I love him. Um, and then finally, Pokusevsky. I mean, he's... Seven foot tall, 200 pounds, handles the ball like a guard, can shoot threes, and uh, I'm always going to love that player. How do we do some Paul Rudd into Paul Reed? So we can figure that out. We'll have plenty of time. Call for him that. Ant-Man. Yeah, Ant-Man. Ant-Man. That's nice. That's perfect. Call him, uh, yeah. Um, um, we can go, we can fly through some of these really quick, but other like some other dudes that kept popping up at SI and USA Today had uh, Theo Maladone. Could be a Teo. Could be a Theo. It's got a. It's a Theo with an accent on the E. So I never know. Never know what to do with that. Um, but he's French, so there's also that complicates things further. Um, having watched a little of Theo, um, I've I've got uh, basically he's like a, a Jacques Vaughn, you know, uh, a conservative-minded backup uh, point guard who probably can't create a shot on his own. Does not seem like he knows what to do in an ISO situation, but like, we'll have a super tidy assist to turnover ratio. Um, and, and that's great. And that's a super like useful utility player. Um, and one that I could see being aligned with the nets in some way or another by virtue of what you're talking about. If we end up having, if we do keep the pick and do some trades, which seems like unlikely scenario, but like, let's say, um, that's, that's a, a version of that that could pan out. I don't know. Um, well, my favorite thing about Teo Maladon, I, I, I think like you, I think it's a Teo, right? Yeah. If you're French. Um, um, Teodore. Uh, <laughs> uh, on Tankathon, go back to the strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> he is, His only strength is his age that they list, and he'll be 19 years old, or he is 19 years old. And Everything else is a weakness. <laughs> Amazing. And that is that is a, a rough look. Now, actually, a lot of it is like he's neither a negative or a minus or a plus or a minus. He's you know, there's a lot of skills that he has that wouldn't classify as either. You know, he's like an average three point shooter ish, average from the line, 
whatever. But when the only thing you got going for you is your age, uh, not a great indicator. But like there, there's 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 a couple of those guards, those European guards that we still haven't reckoned with fully, right? Like we, it's not the Luca issue because Luca is his own little class, but like we still don't know how to evaluate the six four guard who isn't a great shooter from Europe, but like does just sort of like everything. Sure. You know? Um, well, I we think have, we haven't yeah, figured out how that translates. I agree. And I think, NBA. I think that like the second half of the small ball phenomenon, which I think will like invariably go like a, well, it's smaller, right? Uh, definitionally, but like, I think that the need for traditional point guards is also going to be up for debate in the not too distant future. Like, you know, the, the the vestiges of Chris Paul or whatever that'll stick around a lot longer than like you know we, we've we've pretty quickly well it's actually interesting because like you know uh, having Anthony Davis's back to the basket versus like Jokic in in the Western Conference Finals there like was a bit of a data point for like oh like there is still like a huge need for a gravity sucking center on a championship level team um, that that checks out but that like the version of that. That I mean, even still, like even within that context, like you're seeing Jokic and Anthony Davis get further and further away from the basket and do more versatile guardy type type playmaking stuff on their own. Um, I think you're going to see a version of that for point guards too. Like the the identifiable like pass first, like even though like even Rajon Rondo, I look at and say like, oh, that's a guy who's like adapting in an interesting way. Like I find like Jason Kidd might even be like the best example of this as a guy who went from being a very traditional like fast break point guard into like all of a sudden he was like a post up like he just kind of used his girth in a different way and like shot threes primarily uh by the end of his career and i think you're going to see a lot of people figuring out that like ball movement doesn't super duper necessitate a like primary ball handler to break down the guy and it might be that like um it's better to even have them like be off the like i think you're going to see kyrie irving play off the ball and stuff like that quite a bit and he did that in boston um and I just think that like it's all getting mixed up. All these roles are getting mixed up, and so your your Teo Mal- Maladones who have obvious have like you know their you know feet firmly planted in the traditions of point guard are are maybe doing themselves a disservice at at this late stage of you know basketball's evolution here. Yeah, and and so I think so we still don't know what the Nets are going to do with Joe Harris, but this draft. There are some intriguing names of shooters that will be available potentially around when the when the Nets pick. So, I think you brought up Aaron Naismith. Um, the dude he shot fifty two percent from three on eight three attempts a game, which is bonkers, right? So all he does is shoot. He hit it out one assist per game at Vanderbilt. Scored twenty three points at five rebounds. He did have 1.4 steals, which, again, not insignificant, but he is a shooter, a pure shooter. And, you know, he's going to get drafted in the first round, probably before the Nets pick. But there's him. There is obviously Tyrell Terry, who, you know, it's like discount Steph Curry type, whatever buzz, you know, a really but a real tiny guard. Now has gained 15 pounds of muscle and is still only 175 uh, they, they, pounds. They did a 15 pounds of muscle meme with him? I didn't know he's, that. He's all the 15 pounds of muscle, but he's a great shooter too. Desmond Bain from TCU, who the Nets have been linked to, 44% from three on six and a half threes per game. Now, he has a little more versatility. He has, he's as four assists per game uh, as a guy who is a shooter for the team. So that that's kind of like a little more like oomph. 
he's got going on, but he, again, is mostly a shooter. There's a couple of guys in this draft who, if the Nets hold to 19 overall, and even if they they bring back, of course they bring back Joe Harris. They should. Why not? I think it's going to happen. Um, there's a couple of guys in this draft that they could get be really intriguing shooters. And the one thing I, w- I would say about that, why they should, is just look at what the Sixers did with Landry Shamit. Now, they screwed up by trading him for Tobias Harris, but they got Landry Shamit late in the draft. The only thing he could do was shoot. They let him shoot in Philly. And it became an asset for them that they could get a player, and they unfortunately used it on Tobias Harris. But, you know, there's tremendous value in later in the first round in getting guys who only shoot because teams will always want shooting. No matter what happens in the NBA going forward, we're always going to be obsessed with shooting. Um, And there's a bunch of guys like that. Now, I'm worried about more of the pick like the Cole Anthony pick, which is who they've been linked to as well, just because he had a rough season at North Carolina and typically if you're a guard at North Carolina you're it's just like jet fuel like usually all those guys have really good years now if you look back 19 points per game four assists six rebounds that isn't bad you know but overall his three his field goal percentage was 38 percent which is a clunk e so I'd be a little cautious of that of those those like um shooter guys I do think the if you're going that direction Tyrell Terry is is the choice you take um just because he has like demonstrated that stupid like super like 40 foot bomb that that people do yeah um like and doing that at the collegiate level is like I, I don't really remember ever outside of like Steph Curry and the like not to say that this is like a one-to-one because obviously he is not as highly touted uh but it is encouraging to see him dump it artillery style from from super super far away aaron naismith also a great shooter or whatever but is is more of the traditional you know kind of college jump shooter in that in that sense um to my eye to my very amateur eye let's do a stick quick break and then we'll come back and i want to do some draft day trades that are possible all right so we know that there are teams that the that may want to deal during the draft and I think if the Nets do anything during the draft, it's to they're not going to move up and they're probably going to use the 19th pick overall to dump Torian Prince on someone, though. I think we should have that conversation at some point, which maybe we could have it right now, which is like, are, have you given up on Torian Prince? Oof. Um, well, gosh, let me think. It, it kind of pains me to say that I, I my 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 ceiling is pretty low for Torian Prince right now. Um, I don't know why that is. I think it has a lot to do with uh, having watched him play basketball. Having watched him play a fair amount of basketball, I think. <laughs> I think part of my issue with Torian is, um, well, I mean, like statistically, there's 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 some issues, uh, but also just, um, I mean, from the from I remember this like day one, we were talking like in the first preseason games. I watched Pascal Siakam go against Torian Prince. And all of the the D that I think was like being uh, advertised by mostly him and his like his people, uh, that was not. It I was like, oh, that that's not there. That's not happening on any level. He is giving Pascal Siakam like whatever he wants this in this preseason game in which he should probably be trying to put his best foot forward. Um, <laughs> and so I knew from right there that like, oh, that part of it's going to be missing. And it wasn't just because he was like um, like also a, like you know kind of. He didn't have what it takes to be like a man-to-man defender. He also just would get lost. Like I, I was pretty surprised at the amount of minutes that he was getting on that team that la- last year while we were trying to be good. Um, that was a difficult 
situation. <laughs> so yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I am, I am, uh, I, we, you know, we make fun of the Twitter people for making fun of, of Torian Prince, but internally like, yeah, my ceiling's not super high for Torian. Yeah. The thing I'll, I will say, I will push back, not against you, but against the Torian Prince hate. And I'm was one of the, I'm one of the people that watched him play basketball and didn't like what I like ultimately didn't like what I saw. Right. Obviously he's making $15 million a year. So mazel tough to him in the NBA. The one pushback is that if you do have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, the thing that you will want is to fill the roster with shooters who don't really need the ball to dribble, who don't need to dribble the ball to score, right? And if you're Dorian Prince, who has been a good shooter over his career, now it's always that kind of shooting where it feels like he just keeps shooting until he makes it, and it's very J.R. Smith-ish, and you know I love J.R. Smith. It's very J.R. Smith-ish, where it's not like... It doesn't feel super flow in the offense. It it feels like sometimes he's just going to get like someone passes in the ball thinking that the ball is going to keep moving, but Torian just puts it up. But if you're Steve Nash and you can go to Torian Prince and say, here's the situation. You just got a contract from the Nets. That's amazing. Here's what I'm going to do for you. If you listen to me and you stand in the corner of the basketball court on offense and when the ball is, is in your hands, when you're wide open is the only times you shoot you will shoot 50% from three, and their next contract is going to be $25 million a year, whatever it's going to be, right? Like, he's going to make money and look better if he plays a better role with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They're going to get their guys, Joe Harris and everyone else, so many open shots. So Torian's a good enough shooter that I do think that there's like there should be some part of the Nets to think, like, we already gave him the money. Do we really want to give up a first round pick to get rid of him when we just gave him money? There's like a there's a possibility that Torian Prince is going to be really good for the Nets in a role. He just has to kind of want to do it. And he was a little too much like, I'm just going to put up my shot whenever I want. I'm going to disrupt the flow of the offense. And if he does that on the court with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, he basically should never play. Yeah. I right? mean, like, we, I mean, we also, it's, this is still s- small sample sites through there. You, you never like to see someone decline and he has been on a now two year consecutive decline. Um, but he is just one year away from shooting 39%. Now he's down to 33%, which is, you know, not super great for a guy who's supposed to be your, you know, one of your primary three point weapons. Um, and his two point field goal percentage is also, like considerably down he was almost at 50 percent and now down to 42 so like he had a bad year um the year before that was pretty good you know he was at like he was a nearly like 40 50 80 guy um which is very hard to come by and are super useful it's tough so part of what i wanted to do was to talk about nets draft a trade scenarios and i think the one overarching trade that before we get to any specifics is like the Nets, it's been rumored, I think Sam Vecini has talked about it, the Nets have thought about attaching their current first-round pick with Torian Prince to any team like the Hawks, send him back to the Hawks, or to the Cavs, or maybe even the Knicks, to get rid of Prince's contract. Because, if you, again, if you're going to sign Joe Harris, the other way to save money is to trade Torian Prince. And you could probably do that. And if you're the Cavs, like, think about the Cavaliers, like, they're not going anywhere. They actually, what they need is they do need shooting, wing shooting. And if you're the Cavs, you take, hey, I'll get a first round pick and I'll get a guy who could be a wing shooter who could be useful for us. And yeah, his contract kind of stinks, but you know, we're not going anywhere. It doesn't really matter anyways. Um, so by one overarching draft day trade, 
is Torian Prince plus first round pick for just a salary dump. The Allen Crab, if you will. The Allen Crab special. Um, here there are three teams that are in the lottery that are want to win. Pretty much every team. I'm not counting the Warriors because they're a special case, and I don't really know what the Nets would give up to get the second overall pick in the draft. So I'm putting them away. My three teams are the Hawks, the Suns, and the Kings. The Hawks really want to win. There's a ton of pressure on them. The Suns really want to make the playoffs. They really want to win. And the Kings seem to always want to try to win and never seem to care about building it sort of slowly and organically. Okay? So I've constructed three trades around those three teams. The first one is number six overall for Spencer Dinwiddie and maybe 19 overall. Uh, the Hawks would want to do it because they are desperate for a point guard to put with Trey Young, to play backup minutes, to play alongside Trey Young, because their backup point guard was horrific last year and they just had no help there. And the Hawks want to win, and, Tor- and Dinwiddie is certainly that. Now, why the Nets would want to do it is because you could take number six, you could take Levert, Jared Allen, next year's first round pick, plus a, a pick swap somewhere down the road. And you go to the Wizards and you say, hey, we now have a high draft pick for you. Give us Bradley Beal. Let's stop this footsie. We finally got the the top six pick where you can take whoever you want at six plus whoever you want at nine. You build around those two guys with Levert and Jared Allen and our first round pick in 2022 and a pick swap. And, you know, if our team blows up, you get our pick, you know, all that kind of stuff that's why you trade Dinwiddie for number six overall, because you can get someone, you could potentially swing that along for Bradley Beal. Do you care about that? (laughs) Um, Gosh. Well, so now I need to go back and look, because I have, I've like purposefully ignored the top of this draft. Well, you would only make the trade. I think you only make a trade like that for number six. If like, you know that then getting number six guarantees you um, like Bradley Beal. And I don't think Bradley Beal is going to be traded. Like the only reason why you get a high draft pick in this draft right now is to get someone really good. Now, the other person could be like Drew Holiday. But if you give him Spencer Dinwiddie to get number six and then you give number six up to the Pelicans, I no Pelicans are like, well, I still want Karis LeVert. You know, like they're going to be like, okay, cool. We have number six. We still want Karis LeVert. Right. Affect us. Um, Yeah. I don't know. So, did you were you following like Twitter the other day uh, and like started to see the beginnings of of the which which started happening, which is like the West Coast teams are inquiring about Spencer Dinwiddie stuff. For you, oh yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. So for me, like you know, usually when that happens, I I get a little bit like, yeah. So here's my my feeling about trading Spencer Dinwiddie at this point is that like I am not. I have learned to not to never bet against Spencer at this point. Like I still think that that dude has like whatever that thing is that of like just like feeding off of the like constant underdogness that he is faced with, and like always converting that into just like better play, better statistics across the board. Like each and every year, he's just added to his point totals, added to every like like part of his game. And I'm at the place now where I just like I just don't bet against him on any level. Like I'm not sure that you're not going to get like the worst player out of that deal, like with Drew Holiday and Spencer Dinwiddie, um, which is where I'm at with this stuff right now. Yeah, that's what makes it so hard to think about. Like, you know, I kind of talked about this thing with the Drew Holiday situation, which is like, I think if the Nets, the Nets fan base doesn't want 
to trade Karis LeVert for Drew Holiday because they all everyone loves Karis LeVert. They all think so highly of him. We don't really know Drew Holiday. Like we have been watching that many Pelicans games over the years. But when you listen to sort of big, um, you know, NBA national writers, they're all like, Drew Holiday's amazing. He's one of the best defenders in the NBA. One of the greatest locker room presences we have right now in the NBA. And he obviously can still score. Like he can score 20 points a game or whatever. I think it's like one of these scenarios where if Drew Holiday played three games for the Nets, everyone would be like, oh, shit. Drew Holiday. Remember when we saw Kyrie Irving in the Mm -hmm. first game of the year? Yeah. We were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. It's this. I think it would it wouldn't be that level of amazingness because Kyrie Irving is so like distinctly artistic you, you on really, the court. You think that Drew Holiday has that ability to like pop up the page in that way? I think I think if they traded for him and he was on the roster and he was playing with Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, we would immediately be like, "Oh, this makes so much sense." Like it because because he would defend the best player on the other team perfectly. He would score enough <laughs> where it's like. Your your big three is putting up seventy points a game already, and he probably would become a better shooter because all of it would be awful. He's never Drew Holiday's never played with a point guard like Kyrie Irving, so and he would as you talked about allowing Kyrie to be off ball. Drew Holiday also lets Kyrie Irving become off ball in certain possessions, and so does Kevin Durant. Obviously, you know um, you might be right, but again, like I'm still. Just in in like the you know I'm using my 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 three head evaluation of just like point totals and things like that like watching Spencer Dinwiddie stack go from sixteen from twelve to sixteen to twenty points per game you know his volume has been all over the place because he's been asked to do different things every single year and he just like kind of does it and gets better um, yeah I mean I don't know it's hard for me I've I've right. what I'm saying is that I've grown too attached to Spencer to be objective about it anymore <laughs> that's really what what this is. Yeah, and 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 I think too many of these trades with involve Spencer Dinwiddie selling low on yeah. what like Spencer Dinwiddie is still twenty five and five and has as you say is so adaptable. Like you know, if you get rid of him, like okay, you're losing a big chunk of production. His his percentages are bad, but people have to realize it's like his percentages are bad because he basically comes in and plays one of three positions, and he does it for like it's not just because it's, he's doing it like once in a while for like 30 games in a row, he'll either be a small forward or or a point guard. And it's like, that's a really interesting position to be put in, you know, time and time again. I hate Spencer Dinwiddie trades, but here's another one for you, Ryan. So we did the Hawks. The Hawks would have been six overall for Dinwiddie and maybe 19 overall. And the reason why you do that is so you flip that number six to get Beal or someone else even better. Um, The Suns and number 10 overall. Here's a fun one. Number 10 overall goes to the Pelicans. J.J. Reddick goes to the Nets, and Spencer Dinwiddie goes to the Phoenix Suns. Of course, the, the Suns are desperate for a point guard to to pair with. You know, they have Ricky Rubio, but you could do Ricky Rubio, Dinwiddie, and Booker as your backcourt. That's pretty incredible. Uh, the Pelicans, you know, obviously they're building this young core, and this is a deal that allows them to get younger and still keep Drew Holiday. And why the Nets do it is, just think about this lineup for a second, Okay. J.J. Redick, one, already lives in Brooklyn. Everyone knows that. He's obsessed with the Brooklyn Nets. He's had on Steve Nash and Kevin Durant and I think a couple other Nets people on his show. And he's had Bradley Beal, famous Nets target. And you could try out a, a crunch on lineup of Kyrie Irving, J.J. Redick, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, and KD. And LeVert is the worst shooter on that lineup. You have two of the best shooters in the NBA. In Joe Harris and JJ, pure shooters. 
and Katie and Kyrie, I mean, frankly, are two of the best shooters in the NBA as well. It, it would be an insane defensively the amount of pressure you'd put on a defense by having JJ Redick and Joe Harris rolling off picks everywhere all, all over the floor and then getting open from the in the corners while Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have the ball in their hands would just be bonkers. And, you know, so what? Do you want to give J.J. Redick up for Spencer Dinwiddie? I don't know. But for the team, you just add another shooter that's an elite shooter like that who wants to win, you know, is ready to do whatever it takes to win. I think it's interesting just to, just to think about. And that's the way you get them is by get getting, you know, because the Pelicans wouldn't want Spencer Dinwiddie, but they would want maybe 10 overall. And then you get J.J. Redick. Mm. Could be interesting. Could be. Uh, the final one. Number 12 to the Nets for Jared Allen. Number 12 is the Kings pick. Kings get Jared Allen because the Kings are always looking for a center. And Jared Allen would be a legit starting center to pair with Darren Fox. And here's here's why the Nets would do it, okay? The Nets don't want to pay Jared Allen, I don't believe. Jared Allen is up for an extension. They're already paying DeAndre Jordan $10 million a year. DeAndre Jordan will start for the Nets unless if Steve Nash is such a convincing people person that he can convince Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to tell their friend DeAndre that he should be a bench player again. Pretty much the reason why Kenny Atkinson was fired was because he was starting Jared Allen over DeAndre Jordan. So I, all indications are that DeAndre is the starter, making $10 million a year. You trade Jared Allen because you're not going to pay him, and you pick up number 12 overall, and here's who you could maybe kind of get in number 12 overall. Then you're kind of in that the Devin Vassell, Devin Vassell, the Sadiq Bay, Patrick Williams range. Um, Aaron Naismith, Naismith is in that range. And maybe someone in the top, whatever, falls out. Maybe Killian Hayes, for some reason, drops. And he falls all the way to 12. You know, so you, 12 is a good spot where you're, you're maybe getting a guy who falls who shouldn't have, or you're at the top of that sort of next tier. And the Nets then you can use 12 or they could package 12 and 19 to move up even more and move up to, you know, number eight or seven or whatever. So in my head, I think Jared Allen may be traded. I think if you're going to go in the draft and you can, if you can get rid of him and then you can get a young rookie on a rookie scale deal. Get rid of I think him. Listen to this. Well, he's, gonna, he's not going to be on the team. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I love Jared Allen. Unless if Steve Nash f- fully comes in and says, I, it is like, th- this is the most important thing that we can do is that Jared Allen is going to be the starter. DeAndre, you're going to get 20 minutes a game, but Jared Allen's going to get the other 28 at center. And I, I just can't imagine that's what's going to happen. Wow. But that's it. Live draft, live, live draft coverage on, on the, the 18th from Mike. Are we going to get it? Yeah. 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 I'm going to be, I'm going to be there at the draft. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be talking anyways. Um, any other things you're looking out for for the draft before we go? No, that's that's really I have you can you can feel I'm petered out. I've got nothing. That's yeah, it. I gave it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so dead. Um, thank you all for listening. We will, of course, do draft episodes, and if you know the NBA's sort of uh, trade season begins fully, um, you know the Monday of the draft before the draft, so we may hear a trade, and if there is a trade involving the Nets. Brian and I will do a pod and please find us here on Nets Daily nice. and The Athletic and everywhere else. Nice. Your voice is so gristled now. You're like, you went through something. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Bye. Bye.